This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of realestateinvestingmastery.com. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're listening in, and we appreciate each and every one of you, don't we, Alex? Every single person. <laughs> How you doing, man? We had some great comments from our listeners. It was very nice to hear. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Real good. And speaking of that, those reviews, we got about 50 or 60 of them in the last few weeks. I did a little competition ethical bribe to have people leave us a review bribes and, are good uh, man yeah i'm trying to open them up here just blown away by how much people do appreciate the podcast we really do try our best to give solid information and and not sound pitchy and sell something but really give away a lot of good stuff free content i think you know the best thing about this that i enjoy the most alex is interviewing people who are actually doing deals right Absolutely. And it's not that difficult to do a podcast, really. You just find some people that are doing deals and ask them questions like, what's going on? How are you doing this? And I do want to give a shout out to a few of them here, like Janessa Freeman left us a review. This is a wonderful podcast. It is really, it really is perfect for beginners. My mom is also into real estate. And I really found this helpful in explaining what I could do someday. I currently help my mom fix up homes, but I see how I can make more money on the buying side. That's real important. You make money when you buy. I would definitely recommend this to anyone interested or even looking to learn something new. I love how Joe and Alex just jump right into it and don't beat around the bush. I don't know about that. <laughs> we, we you do. are kind of a bush beater, Joe. <laughs> the podcast is very informative, <laughs> and I will definitely be tuning in for more. <laughs> All right, let me find another one here. It's not doesn't talk about bushes. Uh, <laughs> This is from another engineer, another engineer. My background's in civil engineering. I, I think that's why he got that. But a great source for ideas on expanding your real estate investing toolbox. The interviews in this podcast cover a multitude of real estate transactions, from wholesaling lease options to fix and flips and even flipping short sales. The interviewees are from all over the country and share their successes alongside and the pitfalls they've overcome. Great content for new investors and seasoned veterans. Listen, keep a pen handy, and go to work. I love that. That's really good. Thanks, another engineer. And uh, there's a bunch more here. We sure appreciate you guys leaving the reviews and comments. And keep them coming, please. Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and check out our free Fast Cash Survival Kit. We review in detail how to do a deal from beginning to end. Pretty straightforward. This is how we do our businesses every day. And we get a kick out of what we do. I enjoy what I do. Don't you, Alex? Yes, I enjoy making money. Or are you talking about the podcast? <laughs> both. Oh, okay. Both, yeah, both, it's, both. I'm having a blast. I love the freedom this business gives you. I, my wife cooked the most fabulous lunch today, a brisket with seasoning and stuff, and mashed potatoes, broccoli, and peas. I did eat my peas. I didn't like it, but I did. And, <laughs> and these biscuits, these homemade biscuits. And I was just, wow. I didn't get this when I was working the nine to five on my job a few years ago, you know. They didn't have any peas? No, I mean I not at work. <laughs> oh, and help no, no way I brought peas to work. <laughs> I eat a lot better at home than I did when I was working. 
But um, cool, man. Well, real quick, Alex, any deals that uh, you're working on right now? What's been going on in your business? Absolutely, side? deals, deals. So I got a small little HUD deal I'm working on. I got a deal that I'm wholesaling, co-wholesaling. Somebody brought me a buyer, so I split the deal with them. And in January, we should cash that out, and that'll be twelve thousand. So six and six. Nice. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So that little, uh, the little HUD deal is four grand. I got. Let's now, see. did you bid on the HUD Home Store website? I think we went through a realtor actually. Okay. Yep, went through a realtor, and now we're trying to add the buyer to the contract, and then quick claim them off and collect our fee that way. What market is this in? Is this the local? This one? is Raleigh. Okay. Wake County. All right. Yep. So are you bidding on, I, on MLS properties now more or? What's up um, a little bit here and there, not a whole bunch. I still got the mail going. I got just dropped about 5,000 postcards and going through some leads now. And things aren't uh, that bad. Interesting thing is I talked to this one guy on the phone and I really didn't think he would take much of a discount at all. Like his very words to me, if I remember this correctly, were, oh, I'm not going to take 70%. And my VA just offered him, let's see, 235 times 0.70 is 164 and and let's tell let's tell everybody that what your va does this is so cool the va all all the calls well you say it you say it better than i do yeah my va basically just goes through the calls that i have that come in and first of all collects information from them and then calls them back with a soft pass offer basically right which is what oh 70 percent of the arv minus repairs and you how do you repairs is usually about thirty thousand. So simple. Or I take the square footage and multiply it times 20 bucks. So 20 bucks a square foot, and that'll come out to a decent amount for repairs. Right. And the after repair value, you're just using the tax assessed value. Is that right? Yes, because in my market, that is doable. Now, I've got a student out in LA where the property is assessed for 100 grand and it's actually worth like 500. I don't know how that works, but. So in that market, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, and, and your VA is just making a general soft offer. So it, yeah, could, this, is, this is our you, ballpark. You could use the Zillow value if you wanted, couldn't you? I mean, just you use the Zillow could. value times seventy percent minus twenty dollars a square foot for repairs. Get an mm-hmm. approximate estimate and, and see what their reaction is. If they get all huffy and ticked off, then you know, okay, sorry to waste your time. But they may right. say, oh well, maybe I'll I consider something like that. Then you know, you might have a deal. Right. Well, see, that's the interesting thing. This guy I talked to personally, I called him up and I and I could swear this is the guy that I mean, I talked to, you know, a decent amount of people. But this guy's like, oh, I'm not going to take 70 percent or whatever. And he said he'd take 150 for the property. Now, the property's assessed at 235. And if we take 70 percent, that's 164.5. Wow. And if you take 30 from that, that's 134.5. So, and he said he'd take 150. Is it worth going out there to take a look at? Probably. So that yeah. way he could see I'm a real person. Right. You know what I mean? I think that adds another level to it. Once you are in that ballpark and are kind of close and you meet up and talk and maybe even bring some of the low comps and say, listen, this is what's going on yeah. and show that you're a real solution. That's, I think, goes a, a step further until you get in the deal. Oh, that's key. That's really good. And in fact, there was a, a seller yesterday, and Matt, you're listening. We're getting to you. <laughs> I feel so bad. We'll get to you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we got a great guest today. His name is Matt Terrio from Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast, and uh, just met Matt recently. I called him up. I really enjoy his podcast, but 
I was going to say, I got a seller the other day who called me up on a house they had in a good area, a really good area. And it's a two bedroom in a place that's mostly three and four bedrooms. So it's kind of hard to get mm-hmm. comps. And I gave him a soft pass offer, what I thought was good on the phone. He said, yeah, I'd consider that. Well, it's about a 45 minute drive for me. I sat in my car before I was getting ready to leave. And I thought, let me look at comps one more time. And I looked at another source. I've temporarily lost my MLS access. And that's another whole story. Oh, so I know I have a workaround and I'm working on it. I'm working on my workaround. So not pay your fees, Joe. No, no, it's not me. I, I'm not a licensed realtor. Did I say that? Oh, okay. I have a friend who is, and I'm working on becoming his assistant. Very good. So I didn't have the MLS, and I was looking at Zillow and Trulia, and so I thought, well, i got to look at another site. So I actually went to Realtor.com, and Realtor.com is a great place to go to find active comps. Absolutely. Um, and it's more accurate than Zillow or Trulia because, for some reason, it, it takes all of the properties that are on the MLS, for, probably for the most part. And so I found about six, seven properties that were twenty or $30,000 less than what I, the soft pass I gave them. So I called them up and I said, you know, I don't know. I don't want to waste your time, but I'm looking here. I looked at the numbers again. And before I drive all the way out there, I'm seeing a bunch of active homes here that are in this price range. Is that something that you are even going to consider? And he said, oh, no, 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 no way, no way. So I said, fine, you know, I don't, I don't think I can help you then. And I'm just so thankful that I remembered to go to Realtor.com. I said a little prayer to God because that would have taken three hours out of my day, maybe four, to drive all the way out there and then try to build rapport with this guy only to get shot down immediately as I, you know, offered. Yeah, that might be. How far off were you, 20 to 30? Yeah. I told him a ballpark of 90 to 100,000. I don't know. If you use the magic of persuasion and... (laughs) <laughs> smiling pretty and then telling him you might kick him if he doesn't take your offer. I mean, it might work. I don't well, know. Well, you know, I could have, like, pretended to be interested in all the paintings and pictures that were on his wall and, <laughs> you know, like all the teachers teach. And yes. Maybe I could have got him down 20 grand. Oh, you go fishing. Yeah, yes, I love fishing. I love fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Matt has something to say. Let's get Matt on the line. Okay, <laughs> yes, yes. This is about Matt, not Joe and Alex. I got gotcha. you. Sorry, Matt. Matt, are you there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. We could just go on and on beating around the bush. But, yes, because uh, you are a bush beater. <laughs> we got a special guest on the line here, Matt Terrio. And I pronounce your last name right, Matt? You pronounce that perfectly. Not many people do. Well, I've listened to your podcast. That's why. Matt has a podcast called Epic Real Estate Investing. And uh, it's a very good podcast. He probably gets to the point a lot faster than we do on the Real Estate Investing Mastery podcast. Matt's a great teacher, and he really has a lot of good stuff on there. And after listening to, I think it was episode 17, Matt, we talked Mm -hmm. about short sales and and going to your story (laughs) of bidding on all those tax liens, remember? Oh, the tax deed auction, yeah. Holy cow, all that work you did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Was that episode 17? Yeah, it was. I went back and checked it. It was. Oh, that was just hilarious. I mean, not. I felt bad for you. I wasn't... <laughs> right. Oh, by the way. <laughs> just a brief summary. I mean, like, you went to some guy's course, right? And he's saying you bid on tax deeds. Right. So tell the story again, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. You know, I was relatively new. I was still kind of trying to narrow in and, and discover what my main acquisition strategy would be. And 
you know, I'm, I'm investing in my education all the time, always going to seminars, always going to clubs. You just never know what you're going to learn, who you're going to meet. And I went to this one about tax deeds, and it just the, because it had the word tax in it, it didn't sound that interesting, but I thought I'd go anyway. I had nothing else to do, so I went. And wow, it was like it really opened my eyes to a whole world of real estate investing I knew nothing about at that time. And, you know, a tax deed, when, when someone is delinquent on their taxes, yeah, the, the city or the county, rather, will go ahead and uh, put a lien on the property. And if they don't pay the t- property taxes within a couple years, you know, they'll go ahead and uh, auction off the property just for the delinquent taxes. Right. So if someone's delinquent on their taxes, 500 bucks, the auction on that property is going to start at 500 bucks. And I was like, wow, that, that's good. I mean, even if they went quadruple that or you know if they went 10 times that that would still be an amazing deal on the property yeah so I thought okay well let's go ahead and, and check this out so I went down to the county that coincidentally the uh, LA County auction was just about a month after that course okay and I went out and put my five thousand dollars down I bought the big book of the list of properties which was probably about two and a half three inches thick of just properties that were gonna go to auction and you know, wow. at one point I was like, wow, this is a big, thick book and this is heavy and it's going to take a lot of work. But at the same time, I was thinking, wow, look at all of these properties. There yeah. couldn't possibly be enough people there to buy them all. So I rounded <laughs> up my friends and said, hey, we ripped the book in, in three different parts. You take this third. I'll take this third. You take that third. Let's set our criteria of what we're going to do. We ran all the properties through our criteria and we narrowed it down. I can't remember the exact number. This was a couple years ago now. But we ran it all the way down to... I don't know, maybe a list of 150, 200 properties that really fit our criteria out of this this book of, I don't know, 10,000 listings of property. So over the next two weekends, we actually drove by, I would say, probably 175 properties. Wow. Oh. Checking out the neighborhoods, looking in the windows, jumping over fences and oh. doing all that dirty, nasty stuff. <laughs> we narrowed it down to about 75 properties that we really wanted. And the way we evaluated them was we wanted to leave $50,000 of equity in each property. And so we thought, okay, all we need to do is get 20 properties and we can make a million bucks in one day. And we have 75 to bid on. Yeah, so 20 properties out of 75, that sounds pretty darn easy. So we (laughs) got to the... uh, we went and rounded up a bunch of money because we shared with all of our friends what we were going to do. And we sent all the, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars to the LA County trust account. So the money was sitting there waiting for us on the day of the event. And we had a giant entourage. Everyone was going to come and watch us make a million dollars in one day. And uh, we walked in and I had no idea what to expect. And we walked into this giant auditorium and it really looked like an airport hangar, kind of like that. And uh, we walked in and gosh, it was wall-to-wall people in there, and we kind of looked at each other like, "Oops, we didn't, weren't <laughs> expecting this much of a crowd." I didn't know anyone was, even knew about this tech or this uh, investing strategy. Yeah. So uh, we went through and we got the little program. We we got found our seat and we started looking through the program and checking to see when our properties were going to come up for auction. And we started looking, and the first property we looked up, that one had been scratched. Someone had paid their taxes and redeemed it. And then we looked at the next one, and that one had been redeemed. And then that one, the next one was redeemed, and the next one. And we are just like going through this, like, oops. And we're just going down our list, crossing off all these lists. And after we went through the whole thing, there are only four properties available for us out of our 75 properties available oh, to bid on. Wow. Wow. So okay. The million dollars in one day was not going to be. <laughs> but hey, maybe we could do the 200000 in one day. 
which still wouldn't be a bad day divided between three people. Right. Our first property wasn't going to be available, I don't know, for another couple hours before it even came up in the auction. So, you know, we went and got a soda, got a hot dog, sat in the in the back row and just kind of sat around and waited and watched how the auction went. And I had no idea. I mean, it was looked like they were out there selling pigs. They were like, can I get a bit over here? Can I get a bit over there? A bit over there? A bit over there? It was like, it was like a real live auction and the, the guys were all animated and it was kind of entertaining. And But the properties were going and like no one was bidding on them. And so like we were getting kind of excited, like, wow, there's these properties and only, you know, no one bid on this one, no one bid on that one, only two people bid on that one. And this one went back to the county, this one, bid, like, it was like, well, there wasn't a lot, all these people, but there wasn't a lot of activity. Yeah. So we were getting really excited. So our property came up and okay, I'll start the bid at, I don't know, it was $1,000 and every hand in the auditorium <laughs> went up oh, and that thing went. I bet at least 10, 15% over market value. Holy cow. Gee and whiz. In a matter of like 30 seconds. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> so then uh, about 20 minutes later, the next property came up, same thing. Next property came up, same thing. Next property came up, same thing. Wow. And we walked out of there with our tail between our legs and <laughs> walked out with nothing. And had all of our friends, we had probably an entourage of 20, 25 people that were there. Oh, just man. Like, I told you so. I knew it wouldn't work. Yeah, you guys are just a bunch of dreamers. Blah, blah, blah. It's too good to be true. Uh-huh. But that, we still get joked and kidded around about that today. But that was the story. And that was like probably, I don't know, yeah, a good four weeks of, of solid work of three people working that full time. And wow. that's what we. Well, you know what? I love that story because you didn't quit and you didn't get discouraged, maybe a little bit. But you didn't back down and say, oh, this, isn't, this doesn't work. You mm-hmm. actually persisted with it. And you actually, you said something, too. You, you talked to the lady who's taught the course, right? What'd she say? It was the people well, who she do had, She had ended up getting four properties from the auction. Yeah. And she was just a specialist at it. And she got the four properties before the auction began. Right. So she had... We didn't take the upgrade in her course that she was pitching that day. Oh. And apparently that's what the upgrade would have gotten us. <laughs> <laughs> the upgrade. So, but you took yeah. action. I mean, you got to give yourself a pat on the back for that. You took action, oh. massive action. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I see it over and over again. The investors I see who are successful, they know how to take bold, decisive, massive action. And they're not afraid to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alex, totally. you just dropped... 5,000 postcards in the mail. That's right. That's bold, decisive, massive action, <laughs> right? You should, bold. Get, you should get 150, 200 calls from that, I'm going to guess. Um, yeah, that's probably about right. Yep. Which is really, really good. You know, I've noticed that, you know, because I've been an entrepreneur to some extent. Or, no, I've been a complete entrepreneur my entire life for the last 20, 25 years. And uh, yeah. you know what? I, you come across so many people that are successful and you know, sometimes you're just like, God, if this guy can do it or if this girl can do it, anyone can do it. I mean, you come across yeah. some people that you, they just don't appear to be that smart. But <laughs> what they all have in common is they all what are you take saying, action. Matt? What are you saying? They all take action. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> when I noticed that, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm reasonably intelligent. and But I guess I'm just missing that action ingredient. And once I kind of discovered that and once I, that clicked and I did take action, started following things through – then like it's like oh well shoot this stuff's easy now well i think you do a real good job of explaining that in every podcast episode you have matt 
because you you spell out those simple action steps to take and you know, why some people never get over the hump never take that first step I'll, I'll never be able to explain it and that's a whole other episode but totally i went to a real estate investing college and it was like twenty two thousand dollars for a two-year program and taught me taught me just about everything that you could possibly want to know about real estate investing i mean yeah. more than i've ever used and you know i sat in, in classrooms with 50 people 100 people 150 people all in one classroom and looking back I only know of about because it became a pretty tight-knit community yeah. looking back I only know of about a half a dozen people that have actually you know maybe 10 people did a transaction but I only know about a half a dozen that are still doing real estate right now today wow. and what's amazing about that is we all sat in the same class we're there in the same instructor we all got the same materials and the same manuals we all had the same notes and just, you know, only the very, very few actually made me think of it. You know what? It's not, you're a good looking guy, but, and I'm married to a woman. I'm just, but it's, it's not, it's, <laughs> I, I said that, I thought, oh, shoot, I need to fix that. But yeah, where's it going? It's not, <laughs> it's not your good looks, you know, it's not your mm-hmm. education, it's not the kind of car that you drive or your pedigree, whatever. It's just, I think it's real simple, and it's not that complicated, but you took bold action, and you said, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to do it, and and for me, it was, I'm not going to question anything anymore. I got so sick and tired of spending money on education and not making any. I said, I got mad, and I said, I'm just going to take this course. On, it was a course on wholesaling. I'm just going to do it and not question or change anything and just do everything they tell me to do. Step one, okay, what is it? Do it. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I did that that I finally started making money. I, yeah, I call that in my Hook Pro Academy, moving at the speed of instruction. Yeah. As soon as you hear it, just do it. Don't even question it because whoever's teaching it to you has been there, done that. So why do you got to make the same mistakes they did? Just take their advice and their wisdom and apply it and see what happens. Simple as that. Just do it. So, mm-hmm. Matt, talk a little bit about your background. What were you doing before real estate? Oh, wow. It was a whole other world, actually. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I spent the next 15 years of my life in the music industry. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. Uh, pursuing my passion, living my dreams. I made my millions by the time I was 30. And, you know, you couldn't tell me anything. I thought I had life figured out, you know. And then, uh, you know, just like some things happen that are completely out of your control, the digital download came along and completely altered and transformed the way that the population consumes music. And me, as a, my primary position, was a, a CD distributor at a small record label. But we made all of our money off of selling CDs. Wow. And when people stopped buying CDs, you know, it kind of rendered everything that we were up to completely obsolete. I had to, you know, I still don't think the music industry has really recovered from it. And that's been probably 12, 13 years ago. Wow. And what even affected us worse was, you know, we were in an underground hip hop label, but it didn't matter if, like, you're hip-hop or dance but if you're like in the underground genre or the underground demographic of any genre whether it's underground rock or underground hip-hop or underground dance whatever it may be that audience that underground audience they embraced that digital download before anyone even in the public knew what a digital download was yeah i can imagine yeah so it wiped us out really fast like so fast what happened and so you know, after a, a year of soul searching, I mean, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was just right out of 
high school and, and through the Marine Corps, like, music was just a success. It was really easy. It was like there was no effort involved for me to do that. And so I uh, looked for a job for a year to no avail and ended up bagging groceries for about six months. And that was really a humbling experience at age 34. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You, you literally were making a million dollars plus? Did oh, yeah. you have I, a million I, cash? Let's see. I had for cash. Okay, I'll, quick answer, no. But I had always a quarter of a million cash in my bank account, and I always had a couple million dollars in billing and invoices. You know, that was that was a really good living with when I I only had four employees. I think at the very peak, and then uh, so I went out back, and I'd really missed my lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, that was a whole lot of fun. My typical day was. I'd wake up at noon, hit the studio about two o'clock, record till ten or eleven, hit the clubs out at, at night to go promote the music, roll in the house, stumble in the house most of the time around three or four, and <laughs> sleep until noon and do it all over again. <laughs> wow. That was the life, you know. And uh, I really missed that, and I didn't know what the out what was out there that was gonna recreate that type of lifestyle for for me. I mean, I really just I really missed my money. I'll just be straight. I missed my money. Oh yeah. After moping around a little bit in the in the grocery store, the grocery store manager actually had a couple apartment buildings, and he says, "Matt, I, you know, if you want your money back, if you if you want to make money, real estate, that's where the money's at." I was like, "Okay, well, I got to learn something new, so if I'm gonna learn something new, I might as well learn where money's at." Yeah. So I did what I thought the logical thing was. I went and got a real estate license and became a real estate agent. That seems to be what everyone's first intuition or inclination is to do when they want to do this, but I'll tell you that that's the wrong move. <laughs> <laughs> so my first year I did really well. I got rookie of the year and the next year I did better and the next year I did better and then did better and then after four years, you know, I'd, I was making a good living, but I was working 70 to 80 hours a week. Wow. What years were this? This was 2001 to 2005 or 2002 to 2005, somewhere in there. Good. All right. In California uh -huh. still? Yeah, in California, the market was absolutely insane. Yeah. It was a really tough market to learn how to be a real estate agent in. Cause, I mean, as soon as property would hit the market, you know, there would be 20 offers, 30 offers, like within an hour. Wow. And, you know, I was a, almost all new agents. They start out as buyer's agents where they're representing buyers. And I'd, a house, I'd just sit there and hit refresh on the MLS. When's a new property coming up? When's a new property? Just keep on hitting refresh. And as soon as one came up that fit one of my client's criteria, I called them up. They would leave work. We would jet over to the house, and we'd write offers right on the hood of the car right there in front of the house. Wow. So that was a, what do they call that, trial by fire or something like that. <laughs> but uh, if you didn't get good at that, if you didn't get become fast, if you didn't get good at presenting an offer and showing or in conveying to the seller why it was a good deal, you didn't eat. So that was a good training for me and it's helped me out a lot in my real estate investing. But wow. right there at the end of my real estate agent career, I had a few clients, or actually it was two guys, and they gave me repeat business and they gave me this repeat business over and over and over again. And I'd show up on a Saturday or a late Friday night or a Saturday afternoon in my suit and tie and I'd have all their documents out spread out for them. They'd show up in jeans and a t-shirt and you know, they'd just come and scribble their signatures and they were off to enjoy the rest of the weekend. And I'm sitting there stuck with their open house and the paperwork and, you know, they were really good clients of mine. They never disputed my commission, paid me everything that I real estate agent gets. You know, I always got my 3%, maybe 6 or 7% sometimes. But then I started to look at the closing statements. I was like, this is why these guys don't care how much they pay me. 
Hmm. I mean, I'm making six or seven percent, but these guys are making 30, 35 percent. Wow. So if real estate is where the money is, I think I'm on the wrong side of the desk, you know? <laughs> right. So I had asked them, I said, hey, I want to do this. And they're like, oh, they were too busy. They didn't have time to show me. And so I went out and took it upon myself and made a large investment in a real estate investing college and, you know, completely immersed myself in it and embraced the whole thing and, and started taking action right away and I started getting results right away. Now, what were some of the things you started doing when you first besides tax deeds <laughs> yeah right <laughs> what else were you doing so, to start making money in it the first thing I did it was right after I had taken their little fix and flip course and they had like real estate investing 101 and they're, they're big one of the things I remember them saying is like you always want to look for the ugliest house in the neighborhood that was kind of what they taught on first day right. ugliest house in the neighborhood is what you want and I was really just driving down the street one day and boy did I drive by the ugliest house in the neighborhood <laughs> and it had a for sale sign on it and I made a phone call and it had been on the market for a year and it was it was bank owned and it was dilapidated small little single family residence and it looked like it had been halfway torn down but I did the research and there were some investors that had started the project started a rehab and they ran out of money and the bank took it back so it was halfway done hmm. So I did some more research and it was obviously, I figured at this point in my career, I could probably handle some paint and some carpet and maybe put some grass out front. But I mean, this thing needed actual walls and structure. So it was a little bit bigger than, than I could handle all by myself. So I was able to plug into that community that I'd come from in the real estate investing college and found a couple guys that did fix and flips and they did I don't know, half a dozen, or no, probably about a dozen a year. And I yeah. said, hey, I got this great deal. I went and I put it under contract. It's secured. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do with it right now, but come take a look. And I, cause I'm probably going to need a partner. This was before the market started falling in 2006, right? Yeah, it was a little bit before that money was still available. Okay. Yeah. So they came and looked at it and said, this is a great deal. So we did some more research and it turned out that this single family residence had plans and permits already in place to become a fourplex. Wow. And so, I mean, if anyone knows what fix and flips, I mean, time is money. And if you got to go through any sort of permit process, that can, the carrying costs can really eat you alive. But uh, because the plans and permits were in place and they transferred with ownership, you know, as soon as we closed on it, we were able to break ground the very next day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we turned this thing into a fourplex and I think we made $130,000 out of that, of which yeah. I was able to negotiate 20% for me since I had the property under contract. So, yeah, I mean, like 26, 27,000 bucks, I think, on my very first deal. Nice. <laughs> Not bad at yeah. all. And I was hooked. <laughs> well, when the market collapsed, what happened to those guys that were always buying homes from you as when you were a realtor? Mm. Yeah, I was pretty much out of the real estate agent side when that happened. Okay. But, you know, they're, they're still doing it. I'm still, in fact, I'm going to be interviewing them, one of them on, on my next, I'll probably up two or three episodes from now. Great. I'll be interviewing him, and he's still thriving and, and doing well. You know, it's just like... There's really no such thing as a good market or a bad market. There's just an up market and a down market, and you just have to adopt your strategy or adapt your strategy to the market conditions. Right. You know, the name of the game was to to buy low and sell high. And in every market, regardless if it's good or bad, there's always a low price and there's always a higher price that you can sell it for. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Great point so, because there's always a price that an investor is willing to pay for it. Right. 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 And as long as you're in tune with your exit strategies, then you know what to buy it for. Very good. Mm -hmm. But California was hit harder than most other parts of the country. I, I was just in L.A. recently, and I was looking at the median home price 
in LA County, I think it is. And um, it was like $550,000 back in 06. And today, mm -hmm. uh, 244, is that what it was? Something like that? Is it? I, have, I really don't even know. I'll have to look it up again. But yeah. just the, the drop, it was about 50%. Yeah, yeah. Which is just amazing. And it's not like houses have to go up 50% to get back to where they were. They have to go up 100% to get back to where they were. Right. But what is fascinating with the market is um, you need to be a student of the market, but uh, you need to be able to adapt your strategies to what's working today. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like you've been able to do that. You were mm -hmm. you got started right when the market was at its peak. Mm -hmm. How, what happened after that for you? Well, what happened? I was wholesaling properties in in Memphis and Illinois and Detroit for a while. Really? Okay. Yeah. And the one thing about being in California is, you know, everyone is so conditioned here to paying half a million dollars for a three bedroom, two bath, you know, 1,600 to 1,700 square foot house. Right. You know, and even if it's come down half, it's still 250. And when you can buy a property in Danville, Illinois, where you pay buy it outright for 30 grand, 35 grand, and it cash flows 800, 900 bucks a month. I mean, someone in California says, I'll take three, I'll take four. <laughs> so I was able to make that connection and, and had some connections in the Midwest and in the South. And so I started selling cash flowing properties to, or wholesaling cash flowing properties to investors here that, you know, were kind of scared and nervous of what had just happened here in, in Southern California, and they weren't sure if it was going to go lower or what it was going to do next, but you know they still had money they wanted to put into action and wanted to put into play. So there are certain areas in the Midwest, like even though the financial whole thing imploded, there are other markets that weren't really affected that much because they weren't didn't appreciate that much during the boom either. Right. So I was wholesaling for at least a year, year and a half. Well, it sounds like virtual wholesaling to me. I didn't think that worked. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How, yeah. <laughs> how did you how did you buy these homes, or how did you uh, get them under contract? Well, I always talk about this on my podcast, and I know it's not the secret answer and the silver bullet that that everybody wants to hear. But real estate investing, it's all about relationships. Yeah, it is a people <laughs> business. You got to get belly to belly, nose to nose with people, and you got to make friends, and you got to convey your competence. You got to be trustworthy. You got to be likable. You know, and you hear that over and over again. But that is what it is. So. I had some good relationships, some good contacts uh, in Memphis, and I had some good contacts in uh, a couple suburbs of Illinois, and some good contacts in Detroit. Yeah. So they would call me up because I had the contracts. I said, "Man, I got three here. Can you get rid of them?" Yeah, give me, give me twenty-four hours. Nice. And that's kind of how it worked. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Memphis is still doing really hot. Um, there's a lot of activity there with investors buying properties in Memphis. Is that true? Indeed, I just bought a 14-unit building today <laughs> Holy in Memphis yeah hopefully we close today we're supposed to close yesterday but I think we were closing today instead well, so, what so, are the numbers on that one yeah oh you're gonna love this you probably won't even believe me <laughs> <laughs> so this building is a it's a 14 unit completely uninhabitable two vagrants I got a kick out of it picked it up for let's see Purchase price was forty five thousand. What? But I got it from a wholesaler who wow. charged me twenty five thousand on top of that. So 
I think what seventy five, seventy eight thousand dollars is what I'm purchasing it for. It's going to take about another hundred in rehab, and then once it's fully tenanted, my after repair value will be about six hundred. Whoa! You'll be in at about one hundred seventy five thousand. That's a great yeah. deal. Yeah, my whole acquisition, repairment, every or repairs, everything, improvements about one eighty. And what does it rent per unit? Oh, it's gonna be small between three fifty and and five. So I think I'm, but I'll be able to start from scratch. So I can be a little bit selective with my tenants. It's gonna gross rent somewhere around five fifty five hundred bucks. Nice. Yeah. You're gonna cash uh, one deal. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about this one. You'll cash flow what at least thirty five three thousand dollars a month on that one property. Net, yeah. net, net mm-hmm. cash flow. Mm-hmm. I got private money to do it, so I didn't use one dime of my own money. I didn't need a credit report pulled or anything like that. And so just out of putting the whole deal together, I'm going to cash flow personally net for about seventeen, eighteen hundred bucks. Nice. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. I'm going to Memphis next week to, to start rehab. So you probably have relationships and teams in these other markets you're working at. So you already know them. You know their skills in rehabbing and... Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. cool. It's everything. You know, if, if a lot of people say, how could you even buy all those properties in Illinois and you never even went there? How could you do all those properties in Detroit and I've never even been to Detroit? It's really, it's like I said, it's about the relationships, but there's two places where people lose money. There's two places where people really, you know, get their rear end handed to them. One mm-hmm. is bad management. Bad management will kill you every time. So make sure that's your best relationship. Yeah. And the second one is a bad rehab team. Those Absolutely. Two kill, those two will kill you every time if you're not strong in those relationships. Everything else is, is manageable, but you got those two guys straight, then you know real estate investing is really, really a low, low-risk business. And I get asked that a lot, too, on these lower-end homes where the cash flow is really good. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to find good property management companies who want to manage properties in those areas. What have you done to find good property management companies? Well, you know, I found the property managers first and then picked the market second. Really? Okay. I don't know why, but like Cleveland, I get a lot of stuff across my desk from Cleveland, a lot of stuff from Indianapolis, a lot of stuff from Atlanta. And the numbers look great, but I don't know anybody there that manages properties. Yeah. You know, there's lots of property managers there, but I don't know them. So I'm in... in place called Danville, Illinois, where my property manager is is a, a personal friend. So that's good. Wow. And I'm in Memphis because I'm in, in, in two capacities. I have two really good friends that are in Memphis. And they're in property management and they're in rehab. So right. I pick my markets that way because I can still buy low and sell high there. You can hmm. buy low, sell high anywhere. Yeah. You know, you just gotta. gotta, It's so important just to be in tune with your one, your relationships, and two, your exit strategies. And if you got that down, you know, you can real estate investing is not that difficult. Are you doing anything in California still? Yeah, no, I'm flipping. I got a uh, just picking up this week a fix and flip in South Central Los Angeles. Okay. And uh, but that's what I like to do. I like to fix and flip here because I can make thirty, forty, fifty grand on a fix and flip just because the price point is so high. And that's not like a real great deal. That's just like that's just a regular deal here. But I can take that fifty grand and then go cash flow it in the Midwest and get, you know, thirty, thirty five percent return. That's fascinating because um you're using California. 
because of the market. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of competition to buy homes in California, mm-hmm. from what I've heard. Indeed. But you're using that to get your your bigger back end paydays or your thirty fifty grand. Mm-hmm. But you're reinvesting that in the Midwest where you can actually hold a property and cash flow really well on it. That's right. Yeah, I'll be about this probably by June. I anticipate being completely out of the rat race with my cash flow exceeding my expenses. Beautiful. And I did that about a year and a half of focus. Yeah. Yeah, you talked about that a little bit in your podcast. You really buckled down, didn't you? And decided that you were going to focus on a specific target of getting cash flow. Talk a little bit about that briefly, can you? Sure. For the first couple of years, you know, getting a ten thousand, a fifteen thousand, a twenty thousand dollar check for a fix and flip or a wholesale, you know, that's exciting. But you got to get up and you got to go to work and find the next deal tomorrow. Yeah. So I just said, you know what? I've read enough rich dad poor dad stuff and I love enough cash flow quadrants and and all this types of stuff. And I guess it's time to start applying it. I'm getting older and I'm getting a little tired of waking up and trying to figure out where my next deal is. Yeah. And there was a friend that kind of pointed out to me and is it was probably my problem also because when I saw a property that would only cash flow say 200 300 bucks a month I mean that wasn't like a sexy deal that wasn't anything that made me go ooh ah I want I'm gonna go get 300 dollars a month in cash flow yeah but he really just talked about and he showed me the difference between why a lot of people don't get involved and get that cash flow is because they make the mistake of confusing 200 dollars of cash with 200 dollars of cash flow you know, and they're worlds apart. They're completely different when you start looking at, at finances and how wealth is created. With two hundred dollars in cash, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's you know, it's a pair of Air Jordans or a night on the town with with the wife and a bottle of wine. Yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and the two hundred bucks is gone. But that two hundred bucks in cash flow, like if you actually analyzed how much money you'd have to have in a savings account today to create $200 a month in cash flow. I mean, it's staggering. I don't, I think, I think, uh, I don't have my calculator with me, but it's about right now, say if you went to ING at 1%, and I think the last time I figured this out, oh. you need about $300,000 <laughs> wow. in that bank account to generate $200 in cash flow. I never thought about that. Yeah, so $200, yes, $200. But $200 of cash flow represents $300,000 sitting in a bank account today in today's economy. Wow. And when you start looking at it like that, like it's a lot easier to get out of the rat race and focus on that $200 in cash flow yeah. than it is focusing on to accumulate $300,000 of cash. That's where the transformation occurred for me. And where I said, okay, let's just really focus. Let's squish my expenses down as small as I possibly can. And let's focus on cash flow. And once I get my cash flow to exceed my expenses, then I can start upgrading my lifestyle again. Hey, everybody. I am real sorry, but we're going to have to cut this interview with Matt Terrio off right here. We're going to continue part two in our future episode next week. So I hope you come back and join us. It does get better, I promise you. This interview with Matt was one of the best that I think we've ever done. Matt is a great guy. If you haven't checked out his podcast yet, just go to iTunes and do a search for Epic Real Estate Investing. He's got a great podcast, a lot of good stuff out there. You've got to listen to it, subscribe to it, leave him a good review, spread the love. Uh, He's a good guy. So 
And as we always end our podcast, don't forget to go to our website, realestateinvestingmastery.com and download our free fast cash survival kit. You'll get a lot of good stuff out of it, I promise. And uh, don't forget, if you like this show, please leave us a review in iTunes. It keeps us motivated to keep this thing going. We want to know if you like what we're doing. And um, so I appreciate all the reviews that you guys are leaving there. We are going to finish next week, part two, with this interview with Matt Terrio. And so I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Take care. God bless. (laughs) 